All right, so the Mueller investigation is done, and the 2020 presidential campaign is heating up. So what could be next on the U.S. political agenda? There are already signs both parties are shifting focus to other issues. Both parties also tried to move on today, turning the page to health care. The Republican Party will soon be known as the party of health care. The Trump administration is going to ask the courts to take away health insurance from 21 million people who have it today, 21 million Americans. The group that people should maybe be angry with are Democrats who are trying to make it seem like the president is taking away those benefits from the elderly. Well, of course, that's what they're always doing. It's always makes it good. It's all politics. It's for 2020. They want health care when it comes to that election. Yep, health care is back. On this episode of Numbers Geek, we'll get ready by grounding ourselves in an understanding of the numbers behind one of the most important issues on the minds of American citizens. And there will be some surprise twists along the way. Would you believe it's only 8.8%? Oh, really? Wow, that's a shocker. (laughs) We'll be exploring this issue with our resident Numbers Geek, Steve Ballmer, the former Microsoft CEO and the founder of our podcast partner, USA Facts. I'll just tell you from my own perspective, whatever the thing is that you die from when you're 95, 96, 97, sign me up for that disease. (laughs) From GeekWire and USA Facts, it's Numbers Geek with Steve Ballmer. I'm your host, GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. Stay with us. Numbers Geek is presented by USA Facts. Our nation in numbers. Explore the numbers behind key issues facing the country at usafacts.org, where you can sign up for email alerts to be notified about the upcoming release of the USA Facts 2019 Annual Report on the U.S. Government. That's usafacts.org. Steve, it's great to see you. Great to see you, Todd. So we're going to talk about health care today. Why should people care about the overall state of healthcare in the country. Why do these trends matter? Well, healthcare is the single biggest part of GDP uh, in this country. Uh, it's you know close to twenty percent of GDP uh, is spent on healthcare, so it's big. And if you look at it on a household basis, it's really big. Well, it's the biggest single household expense. Now, most people say, "Oh, no, 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 that's not true. I don't spend that much on healthcare." But what they're forgetting is their employer or their government is spending it on their behalf. So if you look at all the money that is somehow used by individuals in this country, by far the biggest piece goes to goes to healthcare. There has been so oh, much Todd. Yes. And by the way, most people want to be healthy. That might be the other reason to care about healthcare. Perfect segue here because here we have from the annual report 2018 from USA Facts total spending on healthcare goods and services per capita from 1980 to 2016 adjusted for inflation so this is not just a f- function of inflation went from $2944 per capita per person in 1980 up to $9578 per person in 2016 so that is an increase of more than 3 times is that right. the most neutral way I can put that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. That's what you, exactly right. What's driving this? Well, if you look at the components of healthcare costs and say how have they changed over time, I mean, there definitely are some changes in perspective. Hospital costs, for example, over that period of time have gone up 
mm, between a factor of three and four. Uh, physician and clinics visits have gone up almost a factor of five. So we're spending relatively of the total more on physicians and clinics than we were uh, back in 1980. If you look at prescription drugs, they're almost up a factor of 10 since 1980. So they certainly represent uh, an increasing percentage of everything that we spend uh, on healthcare. And you can go through each, each piece and, and take a look. Home healthcare was $7 billion, and now it's $92 billion. So that's up, what, a factor of 12 and a half? And again, all of this is from 1980 to 2016. So you're talking a few decades here, really. Right. And this is total spend now. This is not spend per capita. But it does give you a sense of the relative share of the increase. If hospitals are only going up three and a half times and uh, home health care is going up 12 or 13 times, home health care is certainly increasing as a percentage of, of the total that we spend. Of course, if you're looking at key performance indicators for healthcare, or KPIs as they call them in the business world, one of the numbers on your dashboard would need to be the rate of uninsured, the percentage of the U.S. population without health insurance. And as we found, this is a number that surprises a lot of people. What percentage of the U.S. population would you guess is uninsured for health insurance? Oh my goodness. Um, maybe close to 80%? 60%. I'm guessing like 50% maybe, around there, 60 maybe. Would you believe it's only 8.8%? Oh, really? Wow. That's a shocker. <laughs> because uh, with all the recent uh, changes in, in legislation and everything with Obamacare, uh, I mean, you would expect it to be much higher now than it was a few years back. It used to be higher. It used to be 16%, and now it's down to 8.8% after Obamacare. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I have Obamacare. I feel like the services are limited. I think it's cool, but, uh, you know, everyone gets insurance and medication is covered, uh, emergency room visits are covered, but I do feel like it could use a lot more services, uh, per se, like dental is very limited, very, very limited, um, and it's very hard to get in to see your primary care doctor. Yes, the latest government numbers show that the percentage of Americans who are uninsured has fallen since 2010, from 16.3% to 8.8% currently. That coincides with the enactment and rollout of the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare. Out of the people who are insured, more than 55% get their insurance from employer-provided programs, and 16% purchase their insurance directly as of 2016. But more than 44% of overall health care spending in the U.S. was covered by major government programs, things like Medicare and Medicaid as of 2016. 44% of overall spending. That's up from 32% in 1980 due to factors including rising costs and increased enrollment. But maybe it shouldn't be surprising that people are surprised by the actual rate of uninsured, because much of the news coverage of this topic includes language that can skew perceptions one way or another on this issue. That's what we found when we dug into stories from two of the nation's most influential newspapers. Let's start with the first one. This is from the Washington Post, September 12, 2018. For the first time since 2010, America's progress on health insurance stalls. And looking at the same trend, the New York Times says, despite attacks on Obamacare, the uninsured rate held steady last year. So I would look at this and go, oh, hey, 
good news. And I'd look at the Washington Post story just as a casual reader and go, wow, that doesn't sound so great. So the underlying facts are actually very important here to know. Right. I think you have two things going on. Number one, uh, people are showing, I'll call it their bias as to how to think about what's going on. The writer of one story seemed to have one sort of point of view. The writer of this story has another. And yet they agree on the facts. The numbers are the numbers. Now, I'm not sure a, a headline that says, you know, the number of uninsured, percentage of uninsured has stayed constant year over year. And then you could say, um, you know, despite new administration, uh, you could say, despite the Obamacare laws, it doesn't go up. But despite the new administration, it doesn't go down. But those are all conclusory. The truth is, it stayed flat. And that, to me, is the important thing for people to have in mind. And then they can apply their judgments around it. Journalistic side note here. In classic traditional newspaper newsrooms, the copy editors write the headlines, not the reporters. Whereas in fast-moving online news sites, typically the reporters write the headlines and then the editors reshape them. That's, but even if you go past the headlines here, right. they're different. So it's, I hear you, but it still yep. reads differently. And who knows how to think about that? What I know is about nine, between 8 and 9% of people are uninsured uh, in both years. And people can draw their own conclusions as to why. People can decide whether we really need to try to drive for 100. Is that realistic? Those are all questions that you can entertain. But they've got to be based on the same fundamental fact. The number is flat. And saying that in a clear way, I would think, would be a good starting point. Yep. And I will say one last thing on this. I don't mean to be in media critic mode here, but if you go back to the Washington Post story, there are a lot of adjectives and adverbs in this news story. Uh, from tw 2010 to 2016, the uninsured rate fell dramatically, nearly in half, as tens of millions of more people were signed up for health insurance under the Affordable Care Act. See... It's a challenge. As a journalist, you got to have your story stand out and catch attention. And, and I think sometimes facts are not nearly as grabby for the typical reader as adjectives and adverbs. No, they're not. I, I agree they're not. Now, they said uninsured rate fell dramatically nearly in half. Well, that must mean it fell from about 18% to about 9%. Right. I'm not saying that's not dramatic or it is dramatic, but it's clearer to me to say 18 went to 9. With that said... Uh, there's a lot of reasons why we won't get to 100%, and there are some reasons to believe more health insurance and more health spending doesn't actually lead to better health. It's a good question. What are we getting for all of this money? We'll dive into those numbers after this break. Welcome back to Numbers Geek. With the issue of healthcare back on the U.S. political agenda, we're checking up on the numbers this week with Steve Ballmer, the former Microsoft CEO and the founder of our podcast partner, USA Facts. One way to measure health is how long we live. Oftentimes, the metric that's used for that is average life expectancy. But as Steve explained, he prefers to look at a different metric that happens to have a slightly more ominous name, average age of death. What are these two things and how are they different? Yeah, average life expectancy is a forecast of how long somebody who's born today will live. That's average life expectancy. Average age of death is, if you will, 
actuals, not forecasts. Of all the people who died this year, what was the average age at which they died? Uh, you could say one's a forecast and one's, uh, if you will, actuals. USA Facts, we want to look at what has happened more than we want to forecast what will happen. Now, we give the official government forecasts on life expectancy, but I think it's also maybe even more important to look at the actuals. Let's look first at average life expectancy to give us a baseline. This is the forecast that Steve just mentioned. A person born in the U.S. in 2014 was expected to live to almost 79 years old on average. That's an increase of four years over 25 years. In other words, life expectancy was about 75 years for someone born in 1989, 25 years earlier. More recently, the forecast for life expectancy has declined slightly in each of the past three years. This is attributed in part to the effect of opioids and suicides. For people born in 2017, the average life expectancy was 78.6 years old, down about a tenth of a percent from the year before. But overall, U.S. life expectancy, the forecast, has risen by almost four years over the past 25 years. People born today are expected to live about four years longer than those who were born 25 years ago. That is in contrast with Steve's preferred number. And yet, if you look at the average age at which people die, which actually healthcare spending is more invested in extending your life now than extending the life of your, of your children. So in the last 20 years, the average age at which people are dying has gone up from 72.3 years to 72.9 years. So while people are forecasted to live longer, for all that additional money we're pumping into healthcare, it's not buying us much additional longevity today. You get those cancer treatments and all of this stuff, add it together, and it's giving you 0.6 years, you know, just over half a year. Since we spoke with Steve, the latest numbers show the average age of death in the U.S. up by an additional two-tenths of a year to about 73.1 years for 2017. But that's still an increase of less than a year in the average age of death over the past 20 years. Is it giving us higher quality of life? Maybe. I can't, I can't comment. I can't assess. And I'm not going to say the spending is not worthwhile. Certainly, if it's one of my loved ones, I tend to spend. But if you look at it overall and ask the question, uh, is this what people want? Would people spend their money increasingly on this or get their employers to do it for them or get their government to do them for, it, for them the way the insurance programs work? I don't know. We need to confront them with the facts and let people then draw their own conclusions. Here's, here's a thought for you. Um, at my old employer, Microsoft, we would spend uh, between, t at the time I left, I think five years ago, we were spending about, call it uh, $12,000, 10000 to $12,000 per employee. If you take a look at it and you said to many employees, do you really want to have that amount of money or would you per prefer us to give you $5,000 back? and have a weaker form of insurance, uh, I, can, I can guess what the answer might have been, but it's an interesting way to ask the question of how people want to balance these things. The other issue you have in healthcare is, where does the pressure come on the system to reduce cost? If you take a look at any other product, uh, your favorite PC, phone, the consumer's out there every day buying. 
and they're asking, they're demanding lower prices. When somebody builds a lower price device, they can see it rise in, in sales. None of that dynamic really works in healthcare. Things are very distributed. Again, we may like our system, but it does lead to higher costs and it does lead to uh, a situation in which people are not necessarily trading off their money or their employer's money on their behalf the way they might have. Whatever disease, I'll just tell you from my own perspective, whatever the thing is that you die from when you're 95, 96, 97, sign me up for that disease. <laughs> That's right. The longevity disease, whatever it might be. I, I want to die. I want to die when I'm 95, and frankly, I don't care, or whatever age, as long as I'm healthy. But you know, at the end of the day, I'd like to live longer than shorter. And whatever disease gets me, then I don't really care what it is. Bottom line, looking at this, I think you could state objectively that the rate of spending is increasing more than the positive increase in outcomes. Or is that even that too much of a stretch? No, that you, it can be your conclusion. Okay, that's that can my be your conclusion. conclusion. Some people will say, hey, I am buying myself a comfort blanket. I am more likely to be insured. My doctor is more likely to do more things for me. That gives me a lot of peace and quiet and mental health. I'm not arguing that's true, but it is an argument somebody can make. Somebody can say, hey, what percentage of this is going into artificial limbs because people are artificial hips and, and uh, knees and people are living longer? It's an interesting question. Some people could say, hey, look, I don't see the value. I don't see outcomes improving enough to justify this spend. You take a look at it overall, and let's just assume you concluded the number looks high. Well, who's got to do what? Is it the structure of the healthcare industry? Probably. Who controls the structure of the industry? Government. Government provides the regulation. It gives the tax incentives for employer-provided health insurance. It insures directly almost half the population between Medicare, Medicaid, and other military, other uh, uh, programs. And so you take a look at that all in, and you'd say if there was going to be a change in the industry – that was designed to change the cost structure, it has to start uh, in all likelihood uh, with some action by government. Now, some people say, no, no, no. There's this big uh, consortium of Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan, and they are taking a view that somehow, some way, they'll be able to drive uh, cost out of the system for their employees. Uh, maybe they will, in which case that's a, a great thing. Anytime you can get something for nothing, by making things more efficient and not losing any of the value, you have to say that's a very good thing. That really plays into the overarching question that I like to ask you at the end of all of these shows. And it comes from the fact that you're looking at all of these numbers with the mind of somebody who ran a multi-billion dollar business for decades. If you were the CEO of, of, of an enterprise that was showing this spending and these results, where would you look first? What would be your first item on your agenda? I'd probably look at the prices and the costs, the pricing and costing of hospital services, the pricing and costing of doctor services, uh, as well as whether the services that are being performed are providing value. 
you know, does all the money that gets spent at the end of somebody's life really provide extra value or not? Again, people can, I would take a look at that question and say, if what I'm doing is not buying anybody either, you know, more comfort or, or significantly more, not months, but probably years, I'd probably say that's not a good value. And I would work hard to improve that value, uh, including if I needed to, to cut the cost because I'm just not giving my customers anything for that. Now, for all that to work, you got to have a customer who understands what they're paying, which doesn't exist in, in the way healthcare gets, gets managed and delivered today in the U.S. Steve, are there any other key takeaways that you want people to walk away from this healthcare discussion with? Yeah, I think the number one thing, uh, and we need more information, more data on this, the number one thing I think is important uh, would be to have greater emphasis and greater accountability somehow for people for their own health. There's something, and again, this is more kind of my point of view applied, but when people are making decisions that cause them to be less healthy and society is paying more money for health care, that doesn't seem right or smart to me. And I think we should put more energy and effort into thinking through how the medical system, education can drive people to healthier lifestyles, healthier behaviors. But again, everybody can draw their own judgments as more and more of the facts and the numbers get revealed to you, Todd, you number geek. (laughs) That is Steve Ballmer. He is our resident numbers geek. Thank you very much. Thanks, Todd. Hey, thanks for listening to Numbers Geek. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and a review to tell other people what you think of the show. It was really fun to hear from everybody who responded to our giveaway in last week's episode, our mystery income statement episode. And you can look for your Numbers Geek shirts in the mail. We'll be getting those out to you soon. And thanks for all the encouragement from folks who emailed. It's great to know that you're finding value in learning about the numbers behind some of these important issues for our country. Numbers Geek is produced by GeekWire in partnership with Steve Ballmer and USA Facts. Numbers Geek graphic design by Killer Infographics. Theme music by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. Technical support from Kevin Lasota. Claire McGrain provided production and research assistance on this episode. For more Numbers Geek episodes and videos, go to geekwire.com slash numbersgeek. Get interactive graphics, charts, and more about the data we talk about on the show at usafacts.org. From GeekWire, I'm Todd Bishop. Talk to you next time on Numbers Geek.